All right, everybody, put down the cans. I'm not talking Chiefs on the show. I know where my fan base is. This is the Believe in Kansas basketball podcast show on the Believe Podcast Network. I know where my fan base is. It's mostly central in the Midwest, in the Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas. Depends where the president thinks where anything is, right? Uh, in that region, but I'm not talking Chiefs. There's your mention. Hope you enjoyed the parade. Looked like a wild time. Don't let people get under your skin about who was at the parade, who was there, who wasn't there. But regardless, shall we talk some basketball? I'm excited. What a weekend. What a couple games that are now in our rearview mirror. Let's set it up. Let's quickly do the business. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Welcome to the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show. New official title. I don't know if you noticed. Basketball specific. Yeah, hope you enjoy that. Figured that's what the people kind of want to listen to. Believe in Jayhawks basketball show on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Really loaded show. Really fun show, I think. I have done my notes. I have got some interesting information. I've got some opinions as per usual. Here's what we got coming up. First, I want to get into what's shaping up to be a pretty historic season here in the Big 12 between Baylor and Kansas. I'm going to give you my tweetable review of the two games that have been played since I last did a show last week. A really thrilling game against Texas Tech, and then an interesting game. A, a real tale of two halves basketball matchup between Kansas and the Texas Longhorns. I'm going to do a quick preview of what's to come going on the road to TCU. And then we're going to talk a little bit of what, about what's happening in the NBA, actually, involving some Jayhawks. I don't think I've seen this many Jayhawks involved at the trade deadline, really, maybe ever. We're, we're going to get into that. So let's get right back into it, or let's get right into it. I uh, appreciate everyone listening. I've had a lot of people asking, Jonas, where are you recording the show? This is a Believe in Jayhawks show. Are, are, are you in Lawrence currently? No, I don't want to give away my location. I have seen some rumors on the internet saying, I think he's recording on top of Fraser Hall right there on campus. You know, the two little huts on top. I'm here to let you know I'm terribly afraid of heights. So, no, I'm not, I'm not up there. But keep guessing. Good stuff. Let's get into it, though. And I, I also apologize. I'm a little bit sniffly still. I know I mentioned last week I'm, I'm <laughs> getting over. And uh, it's not the flu. It's not the coronavirus. Just a little bit sniffly. And if you hear some heavy breathing, yes, I'm, I'm mouth breathing today. Because my, my nose is still clogged up. But basketball. I mentioned just a moment ago, we may be looking at what might be a historic season in the Big 12. Baylor looks untouchable. We have now hit the halfway point, right? Teams have played nine Big 12 conference games. You have 10 teams in the conference, which means you got nine teams to play, 18 conference games, as the Big 12 is the one true round robin in major college basketball, which is beautiful. I wish every conference did that to just really determine the one true champion. So teams have now played nine games, and as it stands, Baylor is atop of the Big 12, 9-0. Kansas is one game behind them at 8-1. and one. West Virginia is only two games back of Baylor, so they're still in the hunt. Or I'm sorry, I think they're two games behind Kansas, so they're in the hunt. But I don't think anyone's really worried about West Virginia, right? 
although there is a tough game in Morgantown coming up for KU in the coming weeks. So I'm looking at Baylor, the amazing guard play, the big guys that know their place. Gillespie, who would have thought a big man who played at Carleton College out there in Minneapolis would come to the Big 12, would come to Baylor and be having such an impact. This is probably going to be the newcomer. Well, I don't think he's the newcomer of the year, but he's up there for defensive player of the year. He's Mr. Intangibles, that's for sure. What Marcus Garrett is for Kansas, Gillespie is for Baylor. And the guards are amazing. Mitchell, all of them. So they're undefeated. What are the chances are, or what are the chances that they continue the his, this historic run? I think we can all agree that Baylor is probably not going to go undefeated in Big 12 play. It's too tough of a league, even if the depth isn't there like we've seen in previous years. Well, I have done the number crunching, and I've looked to the past. So how many times, and I'm going to start first with realignment Big 12. Missouri left, Colorado left, Texas A&M they were traitors. <laughs> and then, of course, West Virginia joined up to give us our big 12 with 10 teams. So this is with realignment. How many times have we had a champion in the big 12? And we've had some good Kansas teams. <laughs> well, again, keep in mind, every year of the new big 12, Kansas has won the big 12 conference, except for last year. So how many times has a team won the conference, won the title, with just one loss in conference no times now how about how many times has a team with two losses won the title just once and again just once for a team which is three losses so that means that Baylor they've gotten through the first part here they've hit the hump they're probably feeling pretty good but this is really where on the back half of the schedule we are now in February this is where it gets tough you're starting to face teams for a second time there's now a scouting report on you. You now have that target on your back. For diehard college basketball fans such as myself, for diehard Kansas fans such as myself, who've been watching a lot of the conference, watching a lot of Big 12 play, and of course the mayor of the Big 12, Fran Fraschilla, is calling a lot of these games, whether it is KU or it's the Baylor game or somewhere else in the Big 12. And depending what's happening situationally in the game that he's calling, he may get into the topic of, what it takes to win this conference and say what you want about Fran for sure. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Fran calling games because he keeps it real and he understands what it takes. And the thing he says he is most impressed about with the Kansas basketball program is the fact that they go on the road and every single road game is the biggest game of that team season. They're going to TCU this weekend. That's going to be the t-shirt game. That's going to be the blackout game whatever it is for TCU. They go on the road to Oklahoma. That's the biggest crowd of the year. Every team gets ramped up to play Kansas. And it's just another day, day, you know, walking the yellow brick road for the Jayhawks. For teams such as Baylor, for teams such as Texas Tech and Kansas State, other teams that have challenged in the past, they're generally not accustomed to that. And as they start taking body blows and body blows, they start to crack over the course of the season. So that's why I'm really interested to see what happens with Baylor here on the back half of the Big 12 schedule? Say what you want about Scott Drew. And I've said a lot of defamatory things, if you will. <laughs> not necessarily on this platform. I am not a big believer in his program, per se. Don't get me wrong. He's done a miraculous job in taking the Baylor basketball program from the brinks of death to the number one team in the country. That's unbelievable. But in-game, 
things get a little shaky. He's had some very talented teams in the past. Might be different this year. I will give Scott Drew credit in that we are accustomed to seeing Baylor in years past, right? Long, huge front courts. You think of like guys with like Perry Jones, uh, was the guy Austin, the guy who had the, the eye problem, couldn't play in the NBA. Those are some big guys. And they would play that 2 3 zone. They would make it impossible. Torian Prince, right? They'd make it impossible for you to get to the basket. You'd have to shoot your way out of that zone. And teams carved them up. They're playing all man to man now. So credit to Scott Drew for adjusting his defense to his personnel. Sign of a good coach. Maybe he's learning. So I mentioned how it's unheard of to go undefeated in the Big 12. It's, und- it's unheard of, literally never happened, to only lose one game in Big 12 play. What about pre-alignment? And for this, I went all the way back to 2003, which is Bill Self's first year taking the helm of the Jayhawks. I think we all remember what happened there. Roy Williams does not give a you-know-what about North Carolina, and here we are. So this goes back to 2003 pre-realignment. I'm going to start with three losses this time. Work our way down. How many times has a team won the Big 12 with three losses? It's technically happened four times, but each time it was Kansas and Texas sharing the Big 12 title in both 2008, great year, as well as 2006, which I believe, no, that was pre-Durant, right? Yeah, that was pre-Durant. He came in the next season. He came in fall of 06. So four different teams have won the Big 12 title, although split them up right down the middle, two teams in 08, two teams in 06. How about two losses? That, would have, that has happened, excuse me, five times. So a little bit more likely back in the day when you had the conference split right there between North and South. Kansas was playing Missouri, K-State, Colorado, those teams uh, a little bit, or they were playing them twice a year as opposed to Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. They only played them once a year. Different situation, I am willing to admit. I'm no Doug, no, I'm no Doug Gottlieb. KU still earned those titles, but there's no doubt without the round-robin format that we have today, it was a different world in the Big 12. So five times a team won the Big 12 with just two losses. Now, what about one loss in conference play? That only happened once pre-realignment. That was the 2010 Kansas team, a team famously known for having Sharon Collins, Cole Aldrich, the Morris Twins, Tyshawn Taylor, and Xavier Henry. I don't remember what happened in the tournament. Just, just a blank. I don't want to talk about it. So I want you to keep that in mind as you're handicapping, if you will, the rest of the Big 12 season. It's going to take a lot for Baylor to get through this unscathed, for sure. Now, the most interesting note, I think, as I sit here at the midway point of Big 12 season, the Big 12 has been notorious, especially the last half decade, for arguably being the toughest conference in the nation. I know the ACC gets some run. I know the Big East, at least the old Big East, the new Big East hasn't been that great. But the Big Ten has its moments. The SEC with Kentucky. Eh, no one thinks the SEC is the, big, the best conference. So top to bottom, I, at least my biased view, I believe the Big 12 has been top to bottom, the toughest conference for teams to maneuver through. Quality teams up and down the league. This year, I don't think that's necessarily the case. 
I think there's a clear separation between Kansas and Baylor. You know, like I mentioned, West Virginia is that in-between team. And then Texas Tech is one and four on the road, which brings me to my next point. And this comes from our new best friend of the show, Nick Short, the host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLW1. This is a note that he tweeted as of Tuesday. You want to know what's separating Kansas and Baylor? Look to the road, my friend. Pick off those home whites. I guess no one necessarily just wears white uniforms at home and darker uniforms on the road in today's day and age of wacky uniforms. Kansas and Baylor, their road record thus far in Big 12 play only, they are combined 9 and 0. That, of course, includes the one loss on Kansas's ledger. Baylor going to the fieldhouse early on in conference season and admittedly putting a whooping on the Jayhawks. The rest of the Big 12 in road play, 6-27. and 27. Two very high-quality teams, both in line for a one-seed come March, and a bit of dreck, if you will, <laughs> in the rest of the conference. I don't know. I, I think it's something to keep an eye on. It's going to take a lot for Baylor to have zero losses. It's going to take, really, a still a Herculean effort for them to only have one loss. So keep an eye on it. If Kansas takes care of their business the rest of the way, and they're facing a middling TCU team this weekend, they'll be right there. They'll be putting the pressure on. And, man, circle that game in Waco. That's going to be – I mean, I'm sure game day will be there. That, that's probably going to be the game to determine the Big 12 race. All right. Good stuff there. If you like what you just heard and you want to advertise on this show, Contact Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V at Believe.com. This is Jonas Nordman on the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show. Appreciate you listening. Let's quickly uh, take a look at what happened in between these last two shows. My tweetable reviews, if you will. My, my short little recaps of the two games that have been played. At home versus Texas Tech and then Big Monday against the Texas Longhorns. Man, Shaka Smart is in trouble. But let's start with the Texas Tech game, the one that's the farthest in a rearview mirror, if you will. And man, I got a little nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. Got a little bit nervous there. It, it sort of felt in control the whole way until like that final minute. When Tech, what a relentless team. I mean, Chris Beard, who has no beard, he, he's built something really special down there. He's got a good recruiting class coming in again, but that magical word, right, culture. What he's built at Texas Tech is just fantastic. My biggest gripe with Chris Beard, to be honest with you, next time you watch a Texas Tech game, and I noticed this last year, but it really bothered me on the game Saturday, or whenever you're listening to this, whenever, you know, when Kansas played Texas Tech. So he wears a tie clip, right? Not only is it way too far down on his tie, it's not even connected to a shirt. So he's got a tie clip that's just boobling all over the place. It's flying all over. All right, that's not a big deal. I know he lives in Lubbock. It's not necessarily the hub of all things fashion. But, like, could someone grab Chris Beard and say, slide that up and connect it to your shirt? Your tie clip is useless. Okay, so what happened during the game that actually mattered? Devon Dotson played like a star. My favorite play during the season is quickly becoming, oh, no, the team that Kansas is playing is on a little bit of a run. Things are getting close. It's like a five-point game. Okay, let's clear out one side of the floor. Marcus Garrett's going to like run across from one side to the other. And then Devon Dotson just races to the basket, 
lays it up easily. Oh, it's a seven-point game. Oh, it's like a double-digit game again. I love that. He's too quick, too hot, too handle, too fast, too furious. I love that play. Oh, no. It's a little tight. Should we just go? All right, go, Devon. Uh, I want to give a quick little shout-out, a special shout-out to Big Dave, David McCormack. I, I thought he was sensational in that game against Texas Tech. Yudoka Azabuki, I think he probably was listening to my last episode where I rained praise down onto his shoulders and said, Yudoka, you are the most important player on this team. He, and I believe he listened to that episode saying, yeah, so I don't really have to try that hard. So he did not play that well against Texas Tech, but McCormack came in, played the role beautifully. Bill Self has adjusted. They're going purely four-guard lineups now with the one big man, either McCormack or as a Buki. Yudoka didn't play well. David stepped in. I thought he did great. And quickly, I want to make a note on Jemias Ramsey, the freshman for Texas Tech, who I assume is going to be declaring for the NBA draft after this season is over. Couldn't really get a read on him. A talented player, right? Like, you could see the potential just dripping off of him. I think he had something like 21 points. Spectacular plays. Almost threw down one of the most magical alley-oops you'll see all season. But the decision-making, he both kept the team in the game, and by the team I mean Texas Tech, he both kept Texas Tech in the game, but at times kind of shot them out of it, right? I mean, the last two plays... Okay, I'll give Marcus Garrett a lot of credit for the second-to-last shot, the lamp. Fantastic block. But Texas Tech, down by three, gets the ball into Jemias Ramsey. And he somehow, for whatever reason, takes a long two, about five feet inside of the three-point line. That's not how math works. You're taking a two-point shot when you're down by three with like three seconds left. Like back up a few steps and then try it. I mean, he shot enough fadeaway three-pointers as it was. I don't know. I'm not that good at basketball. Who am I to say? I'm not in the mind of the young man. But that seemed pretty obvious. I, I think he's clearly very talented. If he goes to the NBA, if he's a lottery pick, and he gets in the hands of a great coach who can get through to him, not that Chris Beard isn't, but he's clearly a little bit headstrong right now, Jemias Ramsey. He could be pretty special. The hairstyle, though, if I may have a, a Jerry Seinfeld moment, what's the deal with his hairstyle? I've never once wanted to look like a skunk. <laughs> so that's my, that's my biggest takeaways. If you're, if you're listening to the show, the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show, my biggest takeaways from the game against Texas Tech, Chris Beard does not know how to use a tie clip. And Jemias Ramsey's hair, not good. Oh, and Devon Dotson played like a star. Let's move to Big Monday. Jay Billis was in the house for that one. Fran Fraschilla was not, which I found interesting, as did the people I was talking to during the game. But, again, a game, a tale of two halves, if you will. Yudoka Azubuki did not start. According to Bob Washusen on the, on the call, apparently he and Bill Self, quote-unquote, got into it the Sunday before, whatever that means. I assume they were sitting there saying, hey, Yudoka, could you have played better? I'm sorry, Bill. I, I thought I tried really hard. That's, that's my definition of getting into it. Probably had a few more, I don't know, probably had a few more F-bombs. But he got the wake-up call, didn't he? Yudoka Azabuki came in, shot 8 of 10, dominated the game. He was a force. Jericho Sims, who's a quality player, he just could not handle him. The entire Texas team could not handle him once Yudoka Azabuki got in there. And even when he entered the game after not starting at about the 1651 mark, if I remember correctly. He was playing his butt off. He traveled, but it wasn't for lack of trying. He tried to make things happen. 
I think his biggest issue, remember, was blocking that shot on the perimeter. He had two double dribbles called on him. He was trying to do a fast break dunk, which I love you, Doka Azubuke, most important player on the team. But grace is not his biggest strength. I thought Marcus Garrett was absolutely sensational. He was a brick wall defensively. Four steals to go along with his 11 points. It felt like more than 11 points. I was looking at the box score leading in to this show, and I, I was a little bit surprised that he only had 11 points. They all seemed impactful at the very least, but the four steals, he was everywhere. He was a man. He was sensational, like I said. And uh, again, Matt Coleman, the point guard for Texas, the guy who was supposed to come in a couple of years ago. This is now his junior year. It's supposed to be the savior almost of Texas basketball. Not necessarily my words, because remember, they had some really talented teams a couple of years ago, but had atrocious point guard play, and they were bringing in Coleman, and that was sort of supposed to be the, the guy that settled the whole program. Hasn't necessarily happened. They got no passion. We'll see about Shaka Smart. I hope he stays. The, the, my favorite quote and the favorite stat that's going around is when Shaka Smart joined Texas, signed on with Texas, right? Said, I, whatever my system was, it worked pretty well in San Antonio, referring to when his VCU team beat Kansas in 2011 in the Elite Eight. He's now gone one and nine against Bill Self. Cool beans, Shaka. Cool beans. <laughs> those, are, those are my tweetable reviews. I guess they ended up being a few too many characters. This might have been a tweetable thread. Believe in Jayhawks podcast show. Believe in Jayhawks basketball. New title. I got to get used to that. Appreciate you listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies if you don't like the show. But I appreciate you listening. Now let's move on to the future. TCU is on the horizon. I don't know about you, but anytime there's a road game at TCU, I still have nightmares from that fateful day. (laughs) The Topeka YMCA game, if you will. And we all know it's going to get brought up. Every time, it's without fail. There's some, there's some constants in Kansas basketball that you're always going to get. When Jeff Withy was playing, you, I don't know if you ever heard, but he used to play volleyball. <laughs> there's the old Joel Embiid killed the lion story, fable, whatever it is. There's the Frank Mason and Devontae Graham coming from previous schools, Towson and Appalachian State before coming to Kansas. Don't know if you ever heard that one. And then there's also every time they go on a road game to TCU, I don't know if you remember this game, but they got upset in a big way by a bad team. Yeah, we remember. We were all there. But this year, TCU, average. 13-9 overall, under 500 in Big 12 play. They have now lost four games in a row. The last game coming at Oklahoma State when they lost 72-57, to you may recall. Kansas recently also went on the road to Oklahoma State and took care of business. OSU is not a good team. And TCU... In a similar environment, got their doors blown off. It's a team that's struggling to score. I, I was looking through their games. It's very rare when TCU scores over 60 points in a game, which I, I sort of feel if a team hits 60 in college, that's sort of the average. Like that is an average day offensively for a college basketball team. They average 67.7 points per game, which you're saying, Jonas, you just said that if you hit 60, that's average. Yeah, but that, a lot of that came in non-conference play when they were picking up cupcake wins. I looked up Ken Pomeroy. Ken Pom, again, the czar of college basketball stats. 
He has them ranked 112th in his offensive efficiency rankings. So, yeah. This is a team that has a tough time putting the old biscuit in the basket. Players to watch. Number one, Desmond Bain. He is a senior. He's from Indianapolis. He's from the state of Indiana, not from Indianapolis, interestingly enough. He's a 6'6 guard, so this will be a really interesting matchup for Marcus Garrett for sure. He leads the team in both points and assists as a 6'6 guard. 16.2 points per game, 3.5 assists point. 3.5 assists per game, excuse me. And he also averages 6.3 rebounds per game. So not necessarily Mr. Triple-Double, but he is filling up the stat sheet. This is going to be a really important game for Marcus Garrett to stay out of foul trouble. I love Marcus Garrett. Arguably my favorite player on this team. The way he works it defensively, the way he goes one through four defensively. He's got active hands. But with those active hands... He could get caught reaching his hand into that cookie jar a little bit too much. <laughs> the refs are on it. Depending on who's calling that game, they'll see those reaches, and he might have two fouls right away. So really important for Marcus Garrett to stay in this ball game. Number 22, R.J. Nemhard. R.J. Nemhard. N-E-M-B-H-A-R-D. He's a sophomore. He's from Texas, and he's 6'5". 12.4 points per game, although he did score 31 against Iowa State early on in conference play, but it was an overtime game, so it doesn't really count. 4.2 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists per game. So I would imagine if Kansas brings its defensive boots like they generally do each and every game, they should be able to handle this TCU team. But hey, we've said that before, right? I don't know if you remember, but Kansas had a really embarrassing loss at TCU in what might have been the worst game of all time. If I get a little bit distracted, I am recording this right here in the midst of the NBA trade deadline, which is what I'm about to get into in just a moment because there's Jayhawks in the news in terms of the NBA trade deadline. Uh, This latest alert that came through does not include any Jayhawks, but Marcus Morris is being heavily talked about to go on the move. Appreciate you listening. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show. I am Jonas Nordman. You can tweet at me if you'd like, at Jonasty90. Share your thoughts, opinions, and, and let's get into it. I know this is a college basketball show, and this is specifically a Kansas basketball show. But with that comes, of course, that time when all young Jayhawks have to leave the nest to play in the NBA and make millions of dollars. Oh, how they grow. Right. So uh, I quickly want to talk about what's happening in the NBA. And I mentioned the trade deadline and I I noticed something. And there is big news that broke today regarding former Jayhawks. I've been reading the news. I'm a big NBA fan. I like to keep up with it. I just love basketball in general. Right. And would love to get people's opinions. I just gave you my Twitter handle and would love to get your opinion. Is this the most involved that former KU players have been at the trade deadline because so far rumors I've seen both Morris twins, both Marcus and Markeith Marcus in New York with the Knicks Markeith. He's a piston. I've seen both of them rumored. Kelly Oubre is swirling around a lot. He's down there in Phoenix and he's having a great year. I think he scored 30 points last night. He's really broken out of his shell. Well, as a basketball player, let's just say Kelly Oubre is not a shy guy. 
a bit of a fashionista, if you will. So those three players, basically, I, I mentioned Markeith on the Pistons. The Pistons have said everyone is available, which also includes Svi Mikhailuk, my best friend. He is currently on the Pistons, and he's playing pretty well. He's had some good games recently. And then perhaps the biggest news would have to be Andrew Wiggins, who, as of right now, has been traded, and I believe it is official. Andrew Wiggins has gone from the Minnesota Timberwolves out west to the Golden State Warriors, which is really intriguing. He got traded for D'Angelo Russell. I don't know if there's extra picks. I don't know if there's extra money that went one way or the other. But D'Angelo Russell goes to Minnesota. He now teams up with Carl Anthony Towns. Those were the first two picks of the 2015 NBA draft. They're both friends, apparently. I believe they both worked out together pre-draft. It'll be interesting. Minnesota's not a great team, and that's partly because Andrew Wiggins, you know, we are biased here. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show. So as the Believe in Jayhawks, you know, focused on the Jayhawks, I like to believe that Andrew Wiggins is putting together, you know, a decent career. A guy who will go get you 20 a night. A guy who is at least worthy, apparently, of getting a huge extension. But he got that extension and sort of rested on his laurels. I think it's fair to say he is the king of the long two-point shot. He got that Mamba mentality in terms of the long two-point shot. He and Jason Tatum love it. So now he goes to a team in Golden State. And what they're saying about Andrew Wiggins going to Golden State is he's being viewed as a reclamation project or at least another piece that they could use once Steph Curry, Clay Thompson come back. And if they need to strengthen the team more, then they can move Andrew Wiggins. I did not see Andrew Wiggins as a guy who's going to be termed a reclamation project or an asset, if you will. This is a guy that had superstar all over him from his Sports Illustrated cover to his YouTube highlights to the game I was in person at in Chicago when he went head-to-head with Jabari Parker and essentially put Duke on its back. No, six feet under on his back. And won that game for Kansas. He stood funny, he walked funny, he put his hands on his hips, weird. He was a little soft, but he was great defensively at Kansas. And now he's not known as a great defender at all in the NBA. So hopefully this is a bit of a shock to the system. Hopefully Steve Kerr takes him in. Think about what the Warriors have done with characters in the past. They took in JaVale McGee and made him an upstanding citizen. They brought in Nick Young, both of them, on the same team, and they won championships. So Steve Kerr knows how to get the most out of players, and hopefully this is something that's beneficial to Andrew Wiggins' career because he's too talented. Rooting for the guy. I mean, look, he's rich, he's young. He's now about to go live in the Bay Area. It it could be worse. I mean, the taxes are going to suck for him. But hopefully, it reinvigorates him. Hopefully, it gets that drive going. And I'm no Warriors fan. Trust me, I'm no Warriors fan. But if he gets it together, and you've got Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins. No, I still believe in Draymond Green. If they somehow still stink this year, they're going to still stink. And they get a great pick in the upcoming NBA draft. Who knows? Maybe they take Devon Dotson or something. <laughs> that could, again, be a, a really dangerous team down the line. So something to keep an eye on. All right, I better stop myself before we get too deep into the NBA here. Best of luck to Andrew Wiggins in Golden State, in San Francisco, actually, in their new arena. And also best of luck to the Jayhawks, as they are going to hit the road again. Like I mentioned, go to Fort Worth, take on TCU. 
believe it's yes, yeah, 9 a.m. Pacific time. It's 11 a.m. Central time. You can do the math from there. That's noon Eastern, wherever you may be listening. We appreciate it. If you're in the West, if you're in the Central, if you're in the East, if you're in Hawaii, like, subscribe, rate, tell your friends. I will talk to you next week. Enjoy the games. It should be a good time. And until then, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Yeah.